Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Skelski. And today, for another round two, it's a round two bonanza with a really good round two, Anthony Cesario, VP of Industries and Go-To-Market Solutions over at Clary. Nick, why should people listen? Armand, I'm wondering if you've ever looked at a map, specifically a map on exactly how to get to President's Club. Well, if you haven't, Anthony delivers one today. Three, two, one, map time. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Anthony, welcome back to the show. You know we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah, great to be back, guys. So, um, okay, we're talking about three things today. First um, is a concept I call path to plan, right? And the idea here is if you want to go to President's Club, you need to understand what that actually looks like. 
right? Um, so we'll talk a little bit about how you can map what it's going to take from you and what kind of results you're going to have to produce this year and what that's going to actually look like to get to President's Club based off of what it looked like for people last year and the makeup of your business. So we'll dive in there. The second is once you understand um, what that plan, path of plan looks like, and that might be, hey, I need to close 300K deals and 550K deals and 20, 10K deals. I don't know. Once you understand what success looks like, use that to drive your top of funnel strategy, right? So we, we can peel the onion back a bit on this on how you actually decide on how many accounts of what stature you need to actually spend your calories on in order to get to the number you're trying to get to um, that's going to send you to Hawaii or wherever you guys are going at the end of the year. And then the third one is all of this is kind of in service of, of a concept you probably hear your sales manager just talk about calling called being CEO of your territory or GM of your business. You know, I think this is a critical component of that. And I think managers probably throw that around a little bit too often. The reality is um, the folks who really take that seriously, not only are they mapping their path to what success is going to look like, just like any CEO would, but they're also putting the company to work for them, just like any CEO would, right? So how do you think about yourself as CEO of your business, but put your marketing team and your product team and your rev dev team and your business development team to work in a way that it's actually serving your business and helping you uh, win deals and helping you strategize and things like this. So Anthony, one of the things that I always try to do with reps is give them concrete goals that they can always look towards. And so in this case, that's your path to plan. I've heard a lot of things around, you should always have three X your pipeline to, if that's the number that you wanna to get to, but how do I actually come up with those numbers so I'm not just making things up and imagining like how much pipeline I should actually have? Yeah, you got it. So here's what you do. First, um, go look at who went to President's Club last year, uh, ideally in your business unit, right? Because it may be very different from enterprise to commercial or wherever you're at. Um, but go look at the folks, right? And look at their business. What, what did it actually look like? And um, I think a lot about revenue bands. Um, I think about like, I like to segment the business by revenue bands uh, where, where, it's op where that's appropriate. And so what I mean by that is like, you can almost always look. And if you look at the, the folks who performed at that level, you're going to see some consistencies. You might see that they had like a monster deal. Maybe it was like a 500K deal, right? Everyone had one of those monsters that got the President's Club. But usually there's like, you can take a pretty good lens and see, all right, it looks kind of like this. If I was going to get to, let's say you have 500K number and you want to get to 600K to get the President's Club, you could probably pretty confidently say, all right, well, you know, I think it's going to be 200K deals, you know, 850K deals, X25K deals, whatever, and, and feel pretty good that like, okay, this is probably what President's Club looks like for me, right? And so you take that. And that becomes your target, right? And then what you what you do is you back into that to say, all right, if I know I need 200K deals, how many opportunities do I need to create if I want to close two? And that's where, you know, you become a student of the art and the science of sales. And for all of us now with so much data and tech and things like that out there, if you're not thinking about the science part of sales and you're just thinking about the art, you're going to be left behind because I promise you that's where the future is going. So start looking at the data and you can figure out, okay, what is either, uh, there's two metrics that matter. There's pipeline coverage ratio and there's conversion rates. They're the same thing, just flipped equation, right? So if you have 3X pipeline coverage ratio, you know, and that's how your team typically performs, that means you need three times as much pipeline as you're going to close, right? Pretty simple. So 
You want two deals at 100K? Pretty easy. You should go have find six opportunities at 100K if you want to close two of them. And then what, what I like to do is I take that up another level for my prospecting strategy and say, all right, if I want six deals at, you know, that are worth 100K, then I just use that same like 3X or whatever the, the rate is and say, okay, that means I need to go find 18 companies to target. Like who are my 18 companies that are going to, that I could go sell a 100K solution to? And the other part of that equation is understanding what a 100K solution looks like for you, right? What is the product makeup? What is the type of company, right? How, like, what does that actually look like? And you might find out, holy smokes, there aren't 18 accounts in my business that that I can do 100K and that's going to allow you to pivot your strategy and say, okay, cool, I'm going to have to double down on the 50K deals or whatever. So it's that kind of back into approach by saying, what does success look like? How does the team typically perform? And then using that to drive kind of your, your top of funnel strategy, Armand. And so let's say that we've come up with a goal of For example, I need to go find those 18 deals. One thing you talked about is I need to get everyone in the company on my side. And I say, Anthony, great, here's your territory. Go work your territory. Where do I even start in that process? Yeah, so you know, one of the ways you get everyone working on your side as a rep is showing that you're thinking about someone other than just yourself. And so like one thing, uh, I, did, I used to do as a rep and I have my team, my reps do every every single Q1, QBR, or QBP, as we call them. We'll literally write a letter to our shareholders as a rep. It may sound something like, you know, we're super excited about the progress we made um, in FY22. Um, we had massive growth in the, in the Western region in this product line, thanks to the great work done by Armand and team. Their focus was on going further up market in the 100K plus deals and they mapped the path to those deals and executed on that plan. As we go in the next year, we're going to go even further up market in the 500K deals or whatever. But that, that's kind of like maybe what that letter sounds like. And when you start off like your QBR and you share that with everyone saying, hey, this is what success looks like for the year, everyone starts taking you really seriously that you're thinking much bigger than just yourself. And what that allows you to do is, you know, again, back as CEO of your territory, it gives you the right now to start acting like CEO, right? And you can start asking things of other teams, right? So if you know you want to go further up market and now you can go maybe to your, you know, to your ABM team, your marketing, marketing folks and say, Hey, I want to go target some bigger accounts. Can we do a targeted ABM strategy to go after these accounts? Can we partner on this? Right. And boom, now they're excited and want, you know, want to work with you on that. You might go to your rev dev team and say, you know, your, your, your BDRs and say, Hey, Here's the plan. Here's the type of accounts we have to go after. How do we divide and conquer, right? Let's you know mutually go after this plan. You might go to your executive team and say, hey, I'm planning on going after the biggest deals in the quarter or whatever. Here's how many I need. Here's my 18 accounts. Would love to see if you have any relationships. Am I okay to bring you in to tell our company's story in these bigger accounts, right? And when you do that, and when you go show them that you're thinking strategically about your business like this, people want to go to work for you. And all of a sudden, you're going to have the whole company working on your behalf. 
for those who don't know, I just started a new job. And I like what you're talking about, where you're talking about getting marketing to start doing ABM stuff for you and getting the exec to exec connection to break into an account. But I'm thinking about all the other roles that I've been introduced to recently, like my solutions engineers and the other salespeople and customer success and product. And if possible, I'd like them to help me hit my number two. So I guess I'm curious, if I were to go to those people, are there things that you would recommend that I try to involve them in? That's an exercise that, that I recommend you go through, Nick. That business plan is one, it's going to have that path to plan that we already talked about, right? How do we, what does success look like? How do you get to your number? All that kind of stuff. But two, it's going to have a map of who were all the other um, stakeholders in the company, the other groups, and, and how are we going to, one, partner with these teams, but how are we going to leverage these teams to accelerate our business plan? Right. And when you when you just write it down on paper and you look at all the different teams, you can almost come up with something for every one of them. Like I literally go all the way down to like HR and recruiting and talent and engineering. And I force myself to think about what can what can this team do to help us go achieve this this outcome that we need to achieve as a company. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Like you'd be surprised, like recruiting, like our, our HR team. I can't tell you how many introductions I've gotten into accounts for my recruiting team. Think about how many people your recruiters talk to across different companies, right? They, they have so many connections, right? So I bring my recruiters and my HR business partners into the fold, um, into my business. And I really treat them as business partners. And, and we invite them to our QBPs. We invite them to our team meetings. And I can't tell you how many times they raise their hand. They're like, oh, I know someone so over there. I know the recruiter over there. I know. So that's that's one just like example you would never think of. CS, right? There's a million examples there with customer success. If you're not talking to your customer success team, you're missing a great opportunity to learn what your customers actually care about, things like this. They know where all the references are, right? So if you're saying, hey, I want to go after you know, these 18 accounts and you know, maybe three of them are, are of a certain type or something, Go to CS and say, hey, what do we learn from companies like this in the past? Who are our best advocates in the customer base in these types of companies, right? They have, they know where all the bodies are buried and, and they can help you. So those are two examples. You can go through that same process with products, with product marketing, with engineering. And I promise you, you'll almost always find some way that these teams can, can help. And at Clary, one thing we do is we, uh, we have something called Shark Week. Where going back to your, your idea of like intros, um, we'll get everyone on the phone at the same time together and we'll pick one rep and we'll say uh, the, the rep will pull up, you know, a couple accounts and everyone on the call, like 50 plus people will go into their LinkedIn and look for connections in these couple accounts that, that we said were most important um, from our executive team all the way down. And like, it's crazy. It, Shark Week goes nuts. We, we generate so much pipeline out of that and it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. So one thing I'm really curious about, Anthony, is I used to work at a company where I had a bag of like six different products. And to your point earlier, I wanted to hit President's Club. And five of the products, like they weren't really great, but one of them was a super easy sale with a really high ACV. And so I almost exclusively focused on that. Like if I got a Bluebird for one of the other products, sure, I'd sell it. But I focused 90% of my efforts on just selling one of those five or six products. And I'm, I'm curious, have you seen other people take an unconventional approach like that to hit their number? Yeah. So um, this, is, this is a really good and interesting question. 
I'll give you an example, right? So I'm, you know, I'm building our verticals business right now, right? We're going into new industries, serving new personas, new business models. So if my rep were to come in and only sell, you know, the product that's been really successful in the past, right? We might not get to our number because we have to think new and creative ways. So going back to CEO of your business a little bit, you know, the first lens I would think about is like, if you look at what's important to the company right now, I would imagine the company doesn't want you selling just one product. There's probably some other ones that are important that, that they need to build out. So I would almost challenge yourself to build that into your CEO plan and say, okay, if, you know, ramping the product two and product three are, are important things for the company, how do I build that into my plan? And, and maybe what you end up doing is coming up with some really creative packaging or strategies where you're going to serve them with the product that, you know, is easier to sell. But, you know, again, you can go back to your team and say, hey, if we're going to sell these ones that aren't selling. Maybe here's some ideas on, on packaging. Can I get this approved if I priced it this way or things? And, you know, you, you might get some leverage there internally. But one, yeah, uh, I would recommend um, having a couple pass to your number. You might say, OK, if I'm only going to sell this one product, here's what it would look like to get there. But if I could get creative and bundle things, I'll actually up my ACV a bit. And if I'm willing to, to get creative with the packaging, maybe I could do it down this path. And I would challenge you to try to go down that path if that's the right thing for the company. And again, it'll probably serve you well. I started my sales career doing that same thing. The first sales team I got asked to, to be a part of was I was at a company called Taleo and we sold recruiting. That was the easy sell. We also had like performance management and talent management, but Success Factors was like the big company out there. And half my team had come from Success Factors, so they knew how good their product was, so they didn't want to sell against them. And I, I had plausible deniability. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I just went in and sold the whole entire suite in every deal that I did. And I closed more business than anybody, more suite deals than anybody without really like worrying about it. And I, I kind of tried to pu push myself down that pathway my whole career as a sales rep was if I can sell the package deal, the sweet deal, I always tried to do that because I knew that was the right thing for the company and it was going to challenge me as well. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because we spend almost no time on this show talking about bundling and packaging. And I think it's a really interesting way to bump up the average deal size. The very best, very best reps I know are masters of this, masters of it. This is how they get the biggest deals done. This is how they get deals done, period, that look stalled. It's it's around creative packaging and pricing. And again, especially when, when you're in smaller startups, it's great because you probably have a little bit more flexibility than you might even realize in, in some of this stuff. Even in big companies, like, you know, we drove bottoms up change when I was at Oracle around packaging in order to go serve a market that was important for us to serve. So yeah, I mean, when, when you think about packaging and pricing, there's there's bundling that you can do right that's that's one that's one element and then there's pricing strategies right where you know there might be ramps that you can do right like you know year 1 year 2 year 3 there might be phasing in products out years into the packaging right where like they might not be confident in this product now but they'd be okay with it in 6 months or 12 months or something so like when you start to realize some of those levers timing um, quantity bundling and then put your creativity hat on, you might come up with some really interesting solutions um, that again, will drive higher ACV, maybe multi-year deals when you weren't even planning on doing a multi-year deal, things like that. So one thing that I always find is sort of case by case is how do I go about making that initial quote? And what I mean by that is there are usually so many different levers I can pull. There's price, there's number of seats, 
there's the different features in the package, and then there's also the term. So are you typically just giving them one thing at the beginning? Are you giving them multiple options? How do I approach packaging my deal in that first step forward? Yeah, I think this is where you really have to, um, one, fight the urge to give pricing or packaging too early and listen to the customer and what's important to them, right? And so if you can try to... Um, if you can try to build the package around what you're hearing from them, that's ideal, right? So what companies are starting to do is structure their, their actual products around this to say, all right, things that are like um, medium willingness to pay, um, medium value, put that in, in the platform, right? Like that becomes a platform fee. The things that are high willingness to pay, um, high value, that becomes usage-based where like, hey, we want to be charging them uh, if they're willing to pay for it and it's high value, let's charge them for as much as they're using it, right? And then stuff that's um, low willingness to pay, uh, high value, those become add-ons, right? So you, you go do those as bolt-ons later. And anything that's in the bottom left, you shouldn't be doing. You should not sell that stuff. And so the way that you package it, you might say, hey, you know, I'm going to do product A, B, and C for you. And I'm doing these two at this really discounted rate, but you're going to get a lot of value out of them in 12 months. So like, I want to make sure you have them and you start building momentum on them. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put these at a lower price, um, but I'm going to bundle them all together. Um, and here's what it would have cost you if you were to buy them two years, you know, a year from now. And so like just that kind of, you know, creative, creative storytelling. But then, yeah, um, what I'd encourage you to do is start with the levers that are the highest yield leverages for you and your path to President's Club, right? And our reps, they're, they're, you know, they'll tell customers hard stop, like, nope, you know, can't go a penny below this average contract value over three years, but we can get creative to get to that average contract value. Maybe you have budget constraints in year one, but you know you won't have them in out years. Like, let's structure this in a creative way to, to meet your budget parameters, but we're going to ramp up you know, you're going to have to go get funding in years two and year three, but you've got a whole year to get ahead of that with your CFO. So like have that conversation now and we'll, you know, like that's the kind of stuff you can do. Think about the highest leverages for you first and then back into, you know, um, go back down the hill from there. Anthony, you said something earlier that I want to ask you about. Uh, I'm understanding this idea of when I sell multiple products and there's like 80 different levers involved with giving a quote or getting a deal done, I need to fully understand their situation, like you said, and resist the urge to give pricing too early. Sometimes we have people who come on the show and they say, hey, you should be getting to pricing right away. You don't want to hide that stuff anymore because it's going to frustrate the buyer. And so I'm curious, can you talk about when you deliver pricing, like your strategy and intent and I guess how you reconcile wanting to put together a full package with not wanting to hide pricing from the customer? I hate when customers ask for pricing and we don't say anything. I think it's rude. So what I do is I have a range, but you know, it's, it's going to be somewhere between, you know, hundred uh, K and, you know, 250 K. And I know that's kind of broad, but we don't know enough to, to, to really razor in on where that's going to land for you. Uh, and here's some of the things that we're going to, you know, work to get through, through together to, to figure out what the right package is. And you know, there's a lot of levers there that, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, if it's going to, if hundred K is, uh, or if 250 K is too much, like I wouldn't get too scared away, but let's talk about it. You know, if hundred K is too much, we should probably talk. And the nice thing that giving a range does for you is it gives them a chance to react where they might say 250K, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like that's, there's no chance, but uh, oh, I knew it was going to be over 100K. At least now you know where you stand, right? And you can kind of like, you know, gauge yourself on, on when you do share pricing, you know, where their expectations are. 
By the way, when they go to pricing, they're also opening up the right for you to go to pricing, right? So when they ask you for pricing and you and you give them some details on on how you're going to go about it, that gives you the opportunity to flip it and say, I'm great, glad you're talking about pricing. So help me understand what's the budget process look like for you, right? It's a perfect lever to go to budget, right? So it's like, cool, um, you know, is that, I mean, 250K, let's just assume it's at the top of that range, 250K. Uh, what's the process going to be like for you to secure 250k for this budget, right? Have you have you budgeted for it already? Is this project on the docket? Have you ever done a project like this before, right? At, of this magnitude, right? If not, who like who can we talk to to make sure make sure we understand the process? Like they're opening up Pandora's box on their side as well, which is where we want to get to anyway. And so, what do I do for especially for a tool like Clary, where honestly it's probably still not budgeted all the time? You get someone who's I don't know a director of sales or director of sales ops, they're almost at the power line, but not exactly, right? And they're like, oh no, like I just don't have budget for this thing. How do I start to coach them through that exercise so that they can go and grab some? Yeah, well, I can tell you, we're never budgeted for. So there's never this, like I'm gonna put AI and machine learning on top of an already really expensive enterprise platform budget sitting out there somewhere. And so we start early with it, right? We really want to understand how does this tie to the the growth initiatives at the top of the company? Because uh, if it doesn't tie to one, um, there's a low chance that this actually gets budgeted for. Um, so we'll want to start there with you and understand how does this tie to, to you know to your strategic initiatives. That's what your executives are going to ask. Two, we're probably going to get to a point where we start talking about like ROI, right? Like what's the return on investment? Like that's kind of de facto. You're going to ask me that. I'm going to ask you, how do you quantify? How are you going to quantify ROI? When you bring this to your CFO, is she going to actually believe the numbers that we bring her? If we spend hours and hours and hours building an ROI case study, um, newsflash, the answer is probably no. So like, we'll still go through that together. But what, what's going to actually matter more is if you can clearly articulate how this is going to impact key growth initiatives for the company. So I would encourage us to spend a lot of time there and we'll do the ROI stuff together. Like, that's how I have that the conversation is helping them understand how decisions actually get made above their heads. And it's not with an ROI case study. You can't bring a CFO something that says, hey, uh, you invest 100 grand and you'll make 10 million and they set, sign on the dot. They're going to have much deeper questions like how does this serve our business strategy in the next six months, next 12 months? Anthony, this is awesome. I've legitimately got two pages of notes and we're running out of time. Um, we got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We have talked about a ton of really great things that salespeople should be doing to be CEO of their territory and make it to President's Club and hang out on the beach in Hawaii, but we've got to move to the inverse of that. I'm, I'm going to ask you about a bad habit. And so the final question is this. What is a bad habit that you see a lot of sales reps exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping? A lot of people are doing value case studies now, ROIs, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd encourage you to like get more human and think about like how people actually buy. And it's very, it's very rarely that it comes off of some like ROI analysis or some like customer testimonial that you hand them. It usually happens by way of conversations with their peers or, um, uh, and, or, um, them really feeling like they understand how it's going to impact the business at, at the highest levels. And we just don't do, most sales reps don't do a good enough job tying their pricing and their value back to, to those things. So I'd encourage you, if you're not getting really serious about your, your reference strategy and, um, and you're not able to really clearly articulate how your product is going to impact the, the business strategy, 
you know, the, the ROI work that you're doing, the value stories that you're telling are probably going to fall on deaf ears by the time they actually get to the CFO or whoever has to cut the check. So, um, yeah, there you go. Um, bad habit is letting price be price and not really thinking about the value and how people buy. Love it. Folks, if you haven't listened to Anthony's first appearance on the show, he did join us on episode 49, so go check that one out as well. It was a phenomenal episode. Anthony, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Yeah, so like I, um, I'm hiring, right? Uh, I'm building out a vertical team here at Clary. We're super excited to help companies outside of tech and SaaS get, um, you know, put predictability on revenue. So if you guys are, uh, are interested and uh, you have any experience in healthcare and financial services and manufacturing and all these kind of cool spaces, um, come look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, we're building a great team. But other than that, I'll plug you guys. You guys kill it. I always say I wish I had a 30 minutes to, uh, to dad's club, a 30 minute to husband's club, a 30 minutes to manager's club. But uh, I'll take 30 minutes to sales club But while I have it. Well, maybe one day when Armand has a kid and I have a kid and we actually know what we're doing, which I don't really suspect would ever happen, we'll have a 30 Minutes to Dad's Club. But Anthony, thanks for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Anthony Cesario include... Number one, when you get asked for ROI, don't send over case studies, don't send over all your BS numbers. Instead, put it on the customer. Ask them how you're gonna quantify it and build the business case together. Number two, when you're getting pushed for pricing, it's really awkward if you just say nothing at all. So give a big range and an intentionally big range and watch how they react to it. Number three, Shark Week. Get all the important people at your company in a room and go down the list of all your key accounts and get as many referrals as you can. And then number four, when people ask for pricing in return, you now have the ability with reciprocity to ask what their budgeting process looks like. All right, those are our four. Nick, how can people help us out? Well, Anthony was on this episode for around two. And so if you haven't listened to round one, you might want to go listen to round one. It was really good. That's all I got. We'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes of President's Club.
Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.